Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, today is Valentine's Day. Yep, today is a day set aside for us to express our love to our significant other, right? We exchange gifts, we give flowers, we give candy. We do all of these things for our special Valentine. You know, there's sometimes I wish you could see my perspective. Because whenever I said today was Valentine's Day, there was like this little wave of expression that passed over the men. Not necessarily the women, but but the men. Half of them kind of had this smug look on their face like, uh, yep, got it covered, baby. Check that box off. But then there were about a quarter of the guys that were like, oh, no, just panic. And, and right now, they're trying to figure out how they're going to recover. Well, maybe I can take her out to dinner. And, you know, let me, let me give you a little advice to both groups. What your wife really wants on Valentine's Day isn't the uh, obligatory candy and flowers. What she really wants is your heart. My wife just gave me the look like, I still want the chocolate. (laughs) All right, I stand corrected. All right, so do you remember the first time that you fell in love? Do you remember what it was like? No task too great. No journey too far. There was nothing that you wouldn't do to, to please your beloved You wanted to express your love more and more and more. The desire to please the one that you loved, it it made all those hardships, all those inconveniences worth it, right? And over time, as your love for each other grew, you knew what to avoid and you knew what to do to please your love. Well, that's the kind of relationship that God wants us to develop with him. He doesn't want lip service from us. He doesn't want the obligatory appearance at church or at Bible study. What he wants is our heart. He wants us to develop this this spiritual sensitivity and awareness, a desire to please him that, that overtakes our desire to please ourselves. And over time, as our love for the Lord grows, we, we know what to avoid and we know what to do to, to, to please the Lord. Last week, as Tim kicked off chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul told us the will of God was what? Our sanctification. This is how we please the Lord, by growing in Christ, by being set apart, by being holy. And, and he told the Thessalonians, you guys are doing it. You're doing a great job. You're, you're walking, you're living the Christian life. You have this relationship with God, and it's evident. It's plain for everybody to see. But then he instructed them to excel still more. You see, the temptation in our romantic relationships is that over time, they tend to grow, we tend to grow complacent. And idle. We kind of flip the switch and we turn on autopilot. We stop singing songs like, ain't no mountain high enough, right? And we just kind of settle into this, this just ride of letting it go just as it is. And, and that desire to, to work, to please, it just simply fades. 
not only that, but the, the threats outside of our marriage and the threats inside of our marriage, they start rising up and, and they jeopardize this relationship that we have. And the same, I think, is often true of our relationship with the Lord. When we first come to faith, there's nothing that we won't do to express our love for the Lord. But over time, we get complacent. We, we get idle. Threats start arising. And so in light of that, Paul says to these believers in Thessalonica, he says, excel still more. You know how to please God. You know how to live the Christian life. You're doing it, but do it more. In our passage this morning, we're going to see that phrase, excel still more, repeated again. In the first eight verses, Paul said, he told us last week, Tim worked it out for us, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy, this is what you need to avoid. You need to avoid sexual immorality. And in our passage this morning, verses 9 through 12, Paul's going to say, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to avoid to please the Lord, and this is what you need to do to please the Lord. You need to excel still more in brotherly love. So let's read together 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12, and see how we might be a church that excels still more in our love for one another. Starting in verse 9, Paul says, Now concerning brotherly love, You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, excel still more. Paul starts off here saying, now concerning brotherly love, he's still talking about living in a way to please the Lord. He's still taking talking about our sanctification, but he's changing the subject within those parameters. He says, we've talked about sexual immorality. That was a danger. That was a a threat for you to avoid. And now he says, now let's talk about this practice that you can cultivate. Let's talk about brotherly love. Don't lust, but do love. Brotherly love is expressed in in the confines of a family. It's parents to children, brothers to sisters, sisters to brothers, children to parents, and so on. You get the picture. That's family love. But we have to remember to whom Paul is writing. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. And so this family love that Paul's talking about, it's, it's not biological. It's spiritual. This is family love in the confines of the church. This is love between brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, I don't need to write to you about this. I don't need to write to you about brotherly love because you're already taught by God. The spirit of God within you has taught you how to love. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, God does that for you. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we engage in brotherly love, the, the love that God poured into us, it just comes out of us. That same love that was poured into us just pours out of us. Paul says, you already know how to love. I, I don't have to teach you. You're a body of believers. You're the church. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You love each other. That's just what you do. Paul knew God had taught them how to love or 
how to love one another? Because he, he could see it. it. It was evident in their life. Back in chapter one, Paul told us that their, their faith had spread out to the whole world, remember? And now Paul says, not only has your faith spread out to the whole world, your love is evident to the entire region. It says all of Macedonia. Their love was evident because they were living it out. They were practicing it. And we can't forget what we learned in chapter 3. They were in the middle of affliction. They, They were in distress. They were suffering for the cause of Christ. And yet, Paul says, you're engaging in brotherly love and you're doing it well. Their desire to please the Lord made those hardships they were in worth it. And so Paul says, because of that, there's no reason to write to you. And then, oddly enough, he turns right around and writes to them about the thing he says, I don't have to write to you about. He says, you're living the Christian life. You're you're doing great. You're you're loving each other. But I need to talk to you about that. I need you to do that still more. He says, excel still more. Why? Why? Why does Paul do that? Why does he write to them and urge them to excel still more in brotherly love if they're living in brotherly love already? I think he does it because they're young in their faith. They've just came to faith in Christ. They've only been believers for a short amount of time. And so they're excited. They still have that excitement to please the Lord. But Paul knows the dangers. He knows the threats. He knows the temptations that are, that are going to rise up to make them idle, to, to make them flip on that autopilot switch. And so Paul says, excel still more. Keep engaging in brotherly love. In Galatians 6, 9, he says it like this. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep loving. Keep doing it more and more. Delight in it because this is what pleases the Lord. Thessalonians, they were young in their faith and they had so much to learn. But I think the reality is, so do we. It doesn't really matter if you've been following the Lord for five days, five years, or five decades. We we all need to hear Paul's words. We, We need to take this exhortation that Paul's giving to the Thessalonians and own it. He says, excel still more. And then in verse 11, Paul lays out for us three ways to do that. He gives us three ways that we can excel still more, three practical ways. Look look at verse 11. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. Paul says, here's how you excel in brotherly love. You ready for this? Be quiet. Mind your own business, get a job. What? What in the world's Paul talking about? What's that got to do with brotherly love? Well, the text doesn't really tell us. And so we really don't know. Even the scholars, when you start looking through all the commentaries, they're all over the map. And the reason they're all over the map is because they don't know because the text doesn't tell us. But even though we don't know the, the details of what Paul's saying here. We don't know the specifics. We do know 
that the Thessalonians knew what Paul was talking about because he says, I've already commanded you to do these things. So they knew. And and even though we don't know all the specifics, I, I think the big picture of what Paul's communicating is evident to us. And so let's work through the, these exhortations. The first way Paul says to excel in brotherly love is by making it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That sound funny to anybody else? Make it your ambition, your goal to live a quiet life. Or to say it another way, strive, strain, aspire, fight to be peaceful. Like, what is Paul saying? And the language that Paul's using here has this idea of quietness, but it's not quietness just in the area of sound. It's quietness in the sense of rest. Quietness in the sense of a lack of busyness, of tranquility. And so Paul says to us, you want to engage in brotherly love, then then slow down. Don't be so busy. Don't get so distracted by this life and the things that are going on that you forget to focus on the Lord. For the past two days, uh, Tammy and I and a small group of people from Southside were at a conference. It was called the Linger Conference. And the whole point of the conference was for us to linger, to, to linger in the presence of the Lord. The idea is that we would just calm our hearts and not worry about the distractions, that we would focus our heart and our mind on the Lord so that we would have this sense of lostness, of, of reluctance to walk away from his presence, just to, to linger. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. The intent of the conference, the the words of the psalmist and Paul's instruction here, they're all saying the same thing. Be be still, rest, be quiet. Paul says, you want to engage in brotherly love, then then live a quiet life. And then he adds to that with the second exhortation. He says, attend to your own business. Simply put, mind your own business. Don't be meddling in other people's affairs. Don't be a busybody. When I was growing up, I had this teacher, and every time one kid would start bugging another kid, we're in elementary school, she would say something like, Johnny, do you have a problem with your nose? And of course, little kids are like, what? You know, they're looking at their nose, they're trying to figure out what she's talking about. And then she would say something like, because it keeps getting stuck in other people's business. I don't think any of us really ever understood what she was talking about, but she liked that line and so she used it. I think it applies to us. We tend to get our nose stuck in in other people's business and instead of doing that, instead of spreading rumors, instead of talking trash, instead of gossiping, Paul's, Paul's saying, just mind your own business. What would it be like if instead of doing that, if we just started praying for one another? Instead of talking about someone's problems, what would it look like if we got on our face and prayed for someone's issues, their struggles? 
Paul says, mind your own business. Don't go, don't go stirring up the pot. Don't gossip. And the third exhortation he gives is this. He says, work with your hands. Work with your hands. And again, we're not exactly sure what, what Paul's talking about. Is this some specific issue that he's addressing that with some individual, or is this a, a general concept that Paul's just conveying to them? We don't know the specifics. But contextually, he's just said, slow down. Don't be so busy. Mind your own business. And then he says, get a job, work, serve. And he's talking to the church. And so I, I think we, the application for us would be to serve in the body of Christ. Paul's writing to the church and he says, don't be idle. Serve. Proverbs 18.9 says this. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. In other words, if you're not working, if you're not serving in the kingdom, you're toying with destruction. Idleness and destruction, they're, they're in the same family. Brotherly love is expressed by what we do. It's expressed by how we live. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Did you catch that? We were created for good works. And God's already prepared them, so all we have to do is just get after it. And so Paul's telling us, Find a place to serve. Find a place to live out your brotherly love in the church. Find a need and fill it. What's your, your calling? What's your passion? Where is God calling you to serve? And if you don't know, come talk to me after the service. I, I can help you with this. There are all kinds of areas in the church that we can put you to good work I'm thinking like the nursery, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the college ministry, and we could keep going on and on, right? That's just scratching the surface. There are all kinds of places and all kinds of ways that we can engage in brotherly love inside the body of Christ. Paul says, you want to excel in brotherly love? Then live a quiet life, mind your own business, and serve. I think the bigger question we've we've got to ask is, why? Why does Paul tell them to do this? I, I think we could sum up what Paul is, is saying basically is this. Live love. And so why does he say live this way? Why does he say love this way? Verse 12. He says live this way, love this way, verse 12, so that you will behave properly Toward outsiders. Paul says you live a quiet life, you mind your own business, you serve people in the church so that the people on the outside take notice. They look at you. They, they see how you live. They, they see your life and they say, I don't know what it is about that guy, but man, he, he seems to be doing it right. That's the proper way to do things. When we live out love, the world notices they do. They, they look at you and they say, you know, that guy, he's doing it right. He's the real deal. He, he's authentic. That's how you're supposed to do it. 
I'm not too up on this religion thing, but, but I kind of want to live like that guy. I, I want to live like that because he, he's doing it right. Paul says, not only do you love, live love for the people on the outside of the church, but you live out love for the people on the inside as well. He says, live love, verse 12, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. You won't be dependent on on anyone. Paul says, live this way so that you're not dependent on, on anyone. You live this way so that nobody in the church looks at you and goes, man, we're all loving people and stuff, but that guy, man, he's always needy. He's always wanting something. He, he always, oh. Paul basically says, be a giver, not a taker. And he's not saying that you can never be on the receiving end of love because that'd be kind of silly. That, that's not his point at all. He says, don't take advantage of the love that's being displayed. Paul's just told them, love each other more and more and more. And now in light of that, he says, don't be the guy that's trying to take advantage of everyone else's brotherly love. No, make it your ambition to, to live love. Make it your ambition to engage in brotherly love. Don't be dependent on anyone. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What pleases the Lord is our sanctification, our holiness. How do you do that? Chapter 8, so far up to this point, it's all been about Christian living. Tim said, avoid sexual immorality this week, engage in brotherly love. Last week, Tim hit us with the hard stuff, right? He he said, you want to please the Lord? Then put on your Nikes and run. Flee sexual immorality. Lace up your sandals, be like Joseph, and get out of there so fast that Potiphar's wife's left holding your coat, right? That, that was a hard sermon for, for us to hear. It's a hard sermon for us to take because, because we all feel the weight of, of sexual sin. We feel the threat of, of, of what that can do. We feel the weight of that. We've all witnessed the devastation that 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 kind of sin can do in a family, the havoc and the devastation that can, it can wreak. We've seen the heartache of a wife who's left as a single mom because dad forsakes his marriage vows and says, you know what? I got a right to be happy. I'm out. We've looked in the despair I've looked in the despair in kids' eyes when mom or dad decide to follow their own passions and desires and just walk out of a marriage. We feel the weight. We, we feel the threat. It's right there in front of us. We feel the danger. That's why Paul started with it in chapter 4. That's why he says you've got to avoid this. Here's the deal. We can't, we cannot, we dare not look at brotherly love and the lack of brotherly love in our life 
as any less perilous to our sanctification. These are two sides of the same coin. Brotherly love is vital to your sanctification. Do you hear that this morning? Love is so important that Paul wrote an entire chapter about it to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, most of you know those words. You could probably quote them back to me, but I want to read them to you, and I want, I want them to fall on you afresh in the, con, in, in the confines and the constructs of brotherly love. Listen to what Paul says, and let the weight of what he says just hit you. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and, I, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. In fact, John will go so far as to say that if you don't love You're not a believer. You're not a true follower of Christ. Think about that. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen can't love God who he has not seen. Loving people is vital to the Christian faith. It's essential John 13, 35 says, by this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brotherly love, it's essential to our sanctification. Paul's message to the Thessalonians, it's Paul's message to us. He says, you're living out the Christian life. You're you're engaging in brotherly love. You are, but hear me. Excel still more. Do it more. Keep keep loving more and more, but don't don't just maintain it. Grow in intensity. Do it more and more. I love Southside. I love this place. I love how we do things, and I love the way that we do things. I, I We engage in brotherly love all the time. I've seen it. I've seen it personally. I've seen fences built. I've seen moving trucks packed and loaded. Yards mowed, weeds pulled. I've seen the gentle touch of affection when someone is hurting. I've seen tears just flowing down the face of someone pouring their heart out for someone else in prayer. Paul says, excel still more because there are people in our body that God wants to touch with his love, but he wants to do it through you. Not only that, but we need to excel excel still more because what we do in here affects what everybody out there thinks 
We want to live in such a way. We want to love in such a way that they get to peek into the door and say, I want to be a part of that. I'm not real sure about this whole Jesus thing, but whatever that is, I want to have that. And and not only do we get to share the love of Christ with our local community, when we're engaging in brotherly love, we get to send people on mission trips. We get to partner with churches around the world. We get to go to the ends of the earth telling people about the love of our life, Jesus Christ. He's the reason that we do the things that we do. This isn't just a sermon on Christian living. If, if that's all we hear is the Christian living aspect, then we've missed the bigger picture of why we love. We, we pursue sanctification because God pursued us. You didn't find God. Trust me, he found you. And he loves you and he, and he pours his love out on you. And in response to him, we flee sexual immorality and we engage in brotherly love for one another. We do those things. We practice those things because we want to please the one who first loved us. That's why we're willing to do the hard things. That's why we're willing to go to great lengths to express our love to, to Christ. That's why we're willing to, to love people. And let's be honest, some people are hard to love. They are. They, they make it incredibly difficult to love them. And I know because my wife will tell you that sometimes I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys that's hard to love. But we love not for the person. We, we love because it pleases the Lord. We're willing to do whatever it takes The reason that we engage in Christian living, the reason that we're striving towards sanctification is because we want to please the one we love. We want to please Christ. And and when that's the case, there's nothing that's too difficult. There's no journey too far. There's no obstacle too high. It's all worth it. Any inconvenience, any hardship, it's worth it because we love Christ. As we close, I'm just going to leave you with, with Paul's words. He says, I know you're living the Christian life. I, I know that you love each other, but do it more. Excel still more.